0: I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for December has been provided by Joyent, the only cloud service that's purpose-built to power today's real-time web and mobile applications. Joyent offers the most cost-effective public and hybrid cloud solutions available today. Here at 5x5, we host all of our web and app servers in the Joyent cloud, and we highly recommend that you check them out and sign up for a free trial at Joyant.com. My guest this week is Will Styler, a linguist and doctoral candidate at the University of Colorado. He's currently working in speech and computational linguistics. How's it going, Will? It's going really well. Thank you. Excellent. So what, what are computational linguistics?
1: So basically, uh, the biggest part of my field is trying to get computers, which are incredibly stupid. They do exactly what we tell them to do. Um, to actually understand human language rather than something like C or C++, to try and get computers to work with us according to our own uh, preferred
0: modalities of talking. Uh, and so, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, is that related to what, uh, what in pi- like Python and Ruby and scripting languages is called natural language?
1: Yeah. Um, natural language processing is a subfield within computational linguistics, and that's kind of where I do most of my work it's, yeah, uh, trying to figure out and make sense in a way that a computer can actually use computer, I'm
0: sorry, human language. So is this, is is what you do basically a lot of, um, handling variances in, in linguistics with pre-programmed, uh, algorithms, or are you actually like developing systems that can figure out context on their own.
1: So there are kind of two sides to a computational linguistics project. Um, You've got the linguists involved and people like myself are mostly interested. So lately I've been working a lot with medical records. We're mostly interested in figuring out what is actually going on in these notes. What do the doctors mean when they say she came in for surgery after a tumor was discovered or something like that? And so we're trying to figure out what exactly humans mean when we say X, Y, and Z and come up with some way to represent that for the computer, uh, that the computer can kind of understand some kind of a schematic. The surgery came after the discovery uh, view. Then on the other side, there are computer scientists who I owe pretty much all of my results to, uh, who take the input that we're giving them and then train a computer to find the features within language that are representing those meanings, where there actually are features. So it's a two-part affair.
0: Yeah. Uh, Um, So you said you were working with uh, several major medical institutions. What were those?
1: um, Right now, the project I'm involved with uh, is working with the Mayo Clinic and Harvard Children's Medical Center. Uh, Nice. Yeah, that's where we're getting our uh, records de-identified, of course, through lots and lots of
0: lawyer data use agreements and encrypted hard drives and whatnot. So what are the biggest biggest challenges in your current work?
1: The fact that uh, people are able to recover a lot of information from very little. Um, this is the case in speech. This is the case in uh, a medical record. Um, it, I'm trying to th- – uh, okay. For instance, if I were to say something like, uh, you know, she had a colonoscopy, pathology showed X, Y, and Z – Really what they're saying is at a colonoscopy, there was a biopsy involved. Then after that, this showed uh, the histological analysis, which took place during pathology exams, showed X, Y, and Z. People use shorthand for everything. I'm going to go to the park and then the store. We don't say I'm going to go to the park and then I'm going to go to the store. We say I'm just going to go to the park and the store um, and try and elide things that humans don't need to understand, But the problem is a computer doesn't have this shared information. Hell, if I say to a computer, I saw the Queen of England's hat last week, the computer doesn't understand whether I saw the Queen of England and her hat or I saw the person who is the Queen of England's hat.
0: It also doesn't infer that you may have been in London at the time. Yes, exactly.
1: It has no idea. I mean, frankly, what I'm looking at mostly these days are temporal relations between things, and it's really hard to even... Uh tell exactly when that happened, even when I said last week, you know does that mean exactly seven days ago at two a m England time does that mean just sometime recently, et etc
0: right, so have you used the app uh, Fantastico?
1: I use that all the time
0: yes uh, given it's a limited scope of language recognition, but they've done a really good job with deciphering inference. Yes. When you, when you type in a string?
1: Um, what, what they're doing there is really, really similar to part of what I, I work with. They're doing temporal expression normalization is the fancy linguistic term for it. But they do an incredible job of it. And I, that app brings me a lot of joy. I use it on my iPhone. I use it on my computer. Um, it, it's just so nice to see what I'm doing work well. I, and even if it's somebody else who's implemented it, um, I, I just love that app so much, and have complimented the deve- the developers on their kind of
0: computational skill. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I was part of the beta test on that. They they basically collected everything that everyone would ever type, and then figured out ways to yeah, like you said, normalize down to something that a computer can understand. It's a
1: really a lot of people who use that app probably don't see just how much pain that must have caused the developer to get right. <laughs> I I I'm so grateful they did it so no one else has to.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um have you ever worked with Well, I guess what languages do you work in day to day? So, um
1: for computational linguistics, I work in English, um but it's doctor English, which is a really oh, different thing. Oh, I meant affair. computer languages. Oh, 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 okay, I'm sorry. Um Computer languages, uh, I work with Python a lot um, because it's what I'm most familiar with. I work a lot also with uh, Prot scripting, P-R-A-A-T, which is a open source software designed for uh, phonetics, uh, speech analysis stuff. And so, in fact, all morning today, I was writing code to measure uh, characteristics of speech using this weird, it's kind of like a pastiche of Perl and... Than just Apple Scripty kind of direct menu command with a couple of variable thing. I mean, it's a cool language, but it's really niche.
0: Okay, and pro- and probably very proprietary.
1: Uh, well, it's open source, which is nice. No, I yeah. d- I just
0: mean like what you, what you learn there probably doesn't translate no. to other scripting languages very well. In fact, it screws uh. me up pretty regularly, <laughs> <laughs> much like AppleScript. Yes, exactly. So, so when you say characteristics of speech, are, are are you still talking about like, uh, reading text or are you talking about like language recognition, like speech recognition?
1: I tell all my students that I live a secret double life. Half of me is a computational linguist and the other half is just a speech geek through and through. Um, I'm lately, I've been working a lot with, uh, things like the nasality of a voice. So the difference between the word pat and the difference between the word pant, pa, pan, that difference in sound turns out to be really difficult to quantify, to measure. We can hear it really easily. In fact, that's enough to make the difference between two words in a language like French. But I'm trying to figure out better ways to actually measure this for things like speech recognition. Because Siri working in French or Hindi is going to need to do that. And right now it doesn't do it
0: well. Have you uh, been to Minnesota? (laughs) I actually have. Rochester. Oh, yeah. Mayo, you said. Um, nasality is a, uh, it's a fine art here. <laughs> pat, pat is actually pronounced pat, 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 pat. Pate. Yeah. I can't even do it. Oh yeah. It's a, it's like bag is bag. We yep. say bag. Yeah. It, yeah. That's got to throw things off.
1: Oh, regional accents are just wonderful. I, I have a—I <laughs> I was the child who went to the bookstore and found the accent, you know, how to learn a foreign accent tapes. Um, and you know, so I'm in high school and have five different accents by then. Uh, it comes with the territory of being a speech geek, I think.
0: Can you do a, a like a Scottish brogue? Uh, I can't do Scottish. They,
1: that one has thus far eluded me, but they have a very passable bad Russian accent if you need it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, Oh, you're a Minnesotan though. I'm going to get judged for, and this is more of a Wisconsin thing, I think.
0: It's a it's a Wisconsin-slash-very-north Minnesota thing.
1: Yeah, I, I picked that one up in Ashkash.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: that's my travel goal. Like I, I went home to Boston recently to visit family, and I, I told myself I'm going to have a Boston accent by the end of this trip and uh, need a little bit more time, only a weekend.
0: <laughs> do you find, uh, do you find with, that, uh, with that knowledge that you are easily influenced by the regional dialects around you? Oh, yeah uh, even just the person I'm talking to,
1: uh, everybody does <laughs> this a mirror. It's actually, it's a known in linguistics. We call it accommodation. People mirror the accent and kind of the speech style of the people around them. Uh, but I, am especially, uh, the term I use is phonologically vulnerable. I pick up other people's sound systems really easily and almost embarrassingly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have that issue to some extent. The time I spent on the East coast, I found my, my, my speech patterns oh yeah changing and and not in a way that was like you fit in here it was in a way, a way that what are you trying to do yeah are you making fun of me no <laughs> exactly no, no, no. <laughs> i swear i'm just
1: phonologically weak yeah.
0: <laughs> if i had only known the words I- exactly we have nerdy oh. words for everything so you do. So you work some with speech recognition, then a little bit. Do you yeah. do that from a, like a, from a software perspective?
1: Um, I don't code a lot of. Well, okay, I do academic speech recognition, like trying to figure out whether this vowel is more nasal or not than that vowel. I'm not as in, but I know what's being said already. So I right. want I'm recognizing features within the speech that have to do with language. I am not doing uh, like Siri esque kind of speech recognition. Uh, I'm not writing that, but I use it all the time. Uh, and so what does it all the time
0: too? What does your, what does your work with, um, with speech characteristic recognition lead to? Like, what is it part of? So basically, you know, okay.
1: You got the word in, in French, beau, uh, means beautiful and bon means good. Beau, bon. That's just a nasality difference. If you're writing a program in, uh, for speech recognition in French, you need to be able to figure out what the difference between those two things is and measure it. So you can say, oh, okay, it's more likely that that one I just heard, bon, is the second one, the nasal one. So all of the stuff that I'm doing at an academic level can then be picked up by somebody who knows how to do this, because all the stuff I do is kind of hacky. It's It doesn't need to run quickly over large amounts of data. It just needs to run overnight on my computer. Um, and, you know, I'm not even using the right software. But these kinds of features can be used by other people down the road to actually do real speech recognition.
0: So, so it's a, it's a major component of full on speech recognition. Yeah.
1: We're learning from the kinds of things that the speech recognition engineers are doing and vice versa. They're learning from what linguists are seeing.
0: Very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to take our first sponsor break and then we're going to start some flame wars. Oh, good. (laughs) Our first sponsor today is Harvest. Harvest has been supporting companies since 2006, starting from the heart of New York City. For seven years, they've been providing reliable and efficient time tracking to creative professionals around the world. We use Harvest here, and it's convenient for us and everyone we work with. Harvest is very simple to use, and you can use it anywhere. Just open it from your web browser, desktop, or your smartphone and start a timer, and now you can get back into the zone. Harvest can track every second that you or your team have been putting into your newest project, All tracked and all tracked hours will appear in their visual time report designed to help finish projects on time and within budget. Harvest allows you to know which clients and projects are actually making you money and which ones are costing you. So at the end of the day, you can send professional invoices to happy clients and get paid. Don't lose track of time. Let Harvest count the seconds while you continue to produce great work. Start your business off on the right foot in 2014. Check out Harvest at GetHarvest.com and try them out free for 30 days. After the trial period, use the code 5 by 5 at checkout and receive 50% off your first month. Okay, so if I if I remember uh, your, your kind of bio properly, mm-hmm. you started uh, on iOS on your mobile phone. Yep. And then made a switch to Android. Yep. And tell me what happened uh, from there, or, or start at the beginning.
1: Well, I mean, I've been a Mac guy all my life. I went from Amiga to Mac, you know, OS 7, um, you know, old school. Got the very first iPhone when it came out. Uh, moved to a 3GS uh, when I eventually, kind of down the road. And then, you know, I'm a free software geek. And so I thought to myself, well, damn it shouldn't I be using free software on my phone? I kind of want to use Linux. I want to hack around on my phone a little bit. And so when my time came, uh, I was also ready to leave my wireless provider at the time, I went and got a Motorola Droid Bionic Android phone. And uh, then had some pretty serious issues there, um, and the company was nice enough to switch me to a Galaxy Nexus. uh, And then... Had even more serious issues there, and then ended up on a Samsung Galaxy S3, again, through the grace of my wireless provider. And uh, then I eventually decided, well, I found somebody who was willing to swap an S3 for an iPhone 4S, and now I'm back. And I also had Android tablets during that time as well. So I,
0: I did my experiment. <laughs> so what, what did you find, A, uh, better about Android, and B, frustrating?
1: Um, I love, and I still miss the customizability of Android. The fact that you could put a, basically a different OS or at least a different version of it that had just the hacks you want on the phone was wonderful. And you could make your home screen look however you'd like. I mean, the Android phone is a really cool place for geeks to geek and to learn all kinds of fun things about that versus an iPhone, which basically is going to look like an iPhone no matter what you do to it. Um, and Apple will fight you if you try and do anything too cool with it. Um, or, or too horrible or too horrible. Yeah. And the same can be said about the tablets. I mean, I could run command line utilities on my Android tablet, just still on an Android tablet. Um, at the end of the day though, I don't know. My issue with Android is just that the only thing it can't be in my experience is just boring and functional like i there were so many times where i'd be on an actual conference call with you know Harvard Children's Hospital and suddenly my phone starts cutting out trying to do some kind of os update because of something weird i did or even running bone stock just it was never as stable as an ios device is and frankly never as well supported with apps so you know i i don't really miss it but I miss some parts of that, the customizability.
0: I um I have to load up Android phones and tablets uh as part of testing for my my web development job. And I I have always found them very um I would guess I would use the word clunky, but I've always assumed that's because I'm just so used to iOS. And, you know, like I know a certain way of operating, I know where I expect certain keys to be. And that, that, so, so Windows and, and Android all feel kind of foreign to me. Did you find after using it for a good period of time that it it was, it was as intuitive to you as iOS was?
1: Yes and no. I mean, it, it definitely, by the end of it, I was able to get my Android devices not feeling clunky because I was able to do enough customization to make them as I wanted them, which was nice out of the box. Yeah, and the other thing is Android is not Android is not Android. Every different manufacturer has a different skin for it. Motorola's skin was pretty awful. The Galaxy Nexus was stock, which was actually really good. Like, stock Android should not be compared to whatever's on the Samsung, you know, any of their guys. Sure. So, you know, the Samsung was a lot clunkier because they put all their crap on, pardon the phrasing, on top of Android, which is a really nice operating system underneath it all.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, I've always felt like I haven't given it a fair chance. Like, I could... If if I didn't... I don't know. If I didn't have the option of iOS, I think I could be a very happy Android user. Especially given... Like, I used to... You know, compiling kernels used to be, like, second nature to me. But it's not anymore. Like, I haven't used Linux since... Probably... (laughs) <laughs> Since I got my Mac, um, <laughs> yeah. which would have been about the year uh, 2001, and uh, I but prior to that I was I was all Linux and and I did immediately miss that customizability, but now I find a lot more entertainment hacking kind of within the uh, the walled garden. You
1: know, ultimately, I think the walled garden is what angered me most about iOS and still does, but. At the end of the day, it's actually kind of nice in here. Um, Oh, yeah. Like,
0: everything's stable.
1: And I – in order to – so if you don't hack at all on your Android, if you don't unlock the bootloader, if you don't switch uh, switch OSs, if you don't root the thing, you're not getting any more functionality than you are out of an iOS device. And if you start hacking on it, you lose stability relative to an iOS device. And so you can have – a Ferrari that runs great when it's running and does all these really awesome things. But God help you when you need to fix it and it breaks down.
0: Yes. I mean, it's yes. I'm familiar with that, that, uh, conundrum.
1: Yeah. It's the Linux. Not that I have a Ferrari.
0: I just have a car that I can't afford. Yeah. No, I could afford, but I can't afford to fix. (laughs) Graduate student. Welcome to my world. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well and I think I think uh that's what I love about OS10 as well is it's it, the the constrictions placed on developers by Apple uh even outside the app store just like working within the operating system itself kind of creates a certain security blanket for everybody like you know when you get something when you get an app on your Mac m- unless you're you know downloading a lot of crazy java stuff yeah. Um you know you're going to get a, a predictable interface and an a stable y- your system's not going to go haywire. Yeah. And that was never the case for me when I was running Linux. You never knew what you were going to get.
1: Yeah, I you know you'd plug in a new mouse and suddenly your window window manager doesn't start and you're just trying to figure out how that worked. And yeah, I mean Linux is it's an operating system for people who like spending time under the hood. If you don't like yeah. that, or if you need your computer to work all the damn time, Linux or Android, for that matter, is not the best choice for you. If you're hacking,
0: here's an example of what I love. I got up at six thirty this morning. Uh, I, I ordered a, an SSD for my mini a while back, and I've uh, I've I, been putting off installing it. But at six thirty this morning, I woke up and I said, oh, "I'm gonna." It's Saturday. Let's install an SSD. <laughs> and uh, so I, I disassembled my. My mini put an SSD in, uh, loaded it back up, booted off the recovery partition, um, loaded up disk utility. It immediately recognized the SSD, turned it into a fusion drive with the other uh, hard drive that I had in the mini already. and, uh, And then restored from a time machine backup in, I think it took like 15 minutes. And my whole Mac Mini server was back up and running with a Fusion SSD drive, and it was just so effortless. That is, I mean, aside from removing all those screws.
1: Well, yeah, the backup thing, Time Machine. Oh my God, Time Machine. And that's honestly, that's one of the other things I missed most on the Android side. Is there is no equivalent to iTunes backup. Um, You 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 can't really revert. To anything you, you don 't have all your files if you switch phones it's you 're just kind of on your own with whatever 's on that phone, and you know so yeah. that effortlessness for the Mac and iOS is just so nice
0: of course if, if you 're as stupid as I am about upgrading to developer previews, <laughs> uh, iTunes backup doesn 't always mean a lot yeah I, I tend to just assume i 'm starting from scratch every time a new OS comes out on the developer. Uh, website
1: I'm like that I just, on my mac I, just, uh, yeah. I give up <laughs> Luckily the cost of the developer program has kept me out of that and I'm going to keep it that way damn it Even if I'm rich I need to not do betas you...
0: Yeah I can't help it yeah. I have an, a beta addiction Oh a beta addiction <laughs> beta addiction nice trademark Trade. Yeah
1: I I felt I felt that pain I have the Linux distribution addiction. Uh, every six months. Wow, I should try this new distribution. <laughs> I've kept myself to VMs these days, but oh man. Nice.
0: Yeah. It's so your other uh your other area of interest that intrigued me was audiophilia. <laughs> you are uh you're an audiophiliac? Audiophile, I guess is what they call them.
1: Yeah, audiophiliac makes it sound somewhat more wrong. But uh yeah. I, I, I guess I am. Uh I what what?
0: What what does uh what what exactly does that mean to you as opposed to the kind of uh, tainted uh, interpretation that most people have these days?
1: So there are people who are audiophiles who enjoy good quality sound. Um, I work with speech all day, I work with sound all day, so I know a lot about sound. So that makes me more retentive, I think, than most people about how music sounds or how anything sounds. So you know, I want to have good equipment. I want to You know, I store everything losslessly. I give a lecture to my undergrads, at the end of which the message is, friends don't let friends store files in MP3 format. Uh, (laughs) You know, so I I do that kind of thing. But then there's the audiophiles who kind of take it to a... not just obsession, because I'm probably there, but they take it to this crazy, like, religious, where you get the cables that are $3,000 and made of... You know, titanium chlorate, something, something, packaged by Tibetan monks in complete silence, and yeah. And <laughs> did they you, annoy me.
0: <laughs> did you ever see that study where? Well, it was not a study so much as a, an experiment where they had self uh, self identified audiophiles listen to music over monster cables and then over coat hangers. <laughs> no, but and, I like it already the majority of them could not hear a difference, which is to say more about monster cables than it is to say about audiophiles in general. But, uh, but I think there's, a, there's probably a point where you're spending enough money that it actually does make a difference.
1: The thing that almost got me out of the audiophile hobby is I went to an audiophile event locally at kind of the, the high-end stereo store, and they brought in the people who sell the $15,000 six-meter cables and you know, I'm talking to them, and I'm trying to make this make sense. I'm, you know, oh, so how does that change it? Well, it improves the the ring and the spang and the, these crazy made up words. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure this out, and then other people, oh yeah, the spang,
0: and yeah, yeah, and things that uh, you can convince yourself exist. Yes.
1: And you know, the curve of diminishing returns is brutal in the audiophile land because, you know, and given there may be people out there who have just golden ears, who can actually hear some of these things, but a $15,000 system doesn't sound all that much better than an $8,000 system, than a $5,000 sy- I mean, you get some returns, but these people spend, you know, what I call a house, on their speakers. And it's just, wow.
0: Sure. Have you seen the, um, audio engine D3 DAC?
1: Audio engine D3? No, I'm not familiar with that one, but.
0: It's a little USB dongle. Mm -hmm. Costs $189. And, uh, Tua just wrote up a piece on it. Uh, Mel Martin from Tua did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, it hijacks the system audio so that, what the system thinks it's sending to the headphone, it's actually sending to this, do you say DAC? Yeah, I, DAC. I don't know enough about this to say, Yep. but uh, to the audio converter. And then you plug your headphones into that and it's supposed to give you expanded range, uh 24 bit, 96 kilohertz HD audio. I think I haven't, I've never tried anything like it.
1: You know, okay. It, as a self-professed sane audiophile at, DAC is a really digital analog converter, is a really good way to spend a little bit of money for really good results. Um, You know, Macs and Apple products, uh, and I'm not just a cultist, they actually do include pretty good chips to start with, but that's the thing that's creating the signal for the headphones at all. So, you know, with your stereo, if you're listening off of like an Apple TV or something, if you throw a decent DAC in there, you will get a lot of improvement really quickly versus whatever they... Put in, you know, some random Sony box or something like that. Sure. So yeah, those are really great little. I use a little headroom DAC and then little amp stacked on top of it for headphones, and then uh, a Cambridge Audio DAC Magic and my actual stereo. So
0: that sounds like a lot. What's your favorite pair of headphones?
1: You know, I'm currently listening to you in a a set of Sennheiser um, 598 headphones. Um. You can go higher in their range, but I've decided this is where the curve stops for me. They're really nice. They're comfortable. Um, You know, everyone should try an open-ear headphone at some point in their life because it just doesn't feel like you've got something on your head that much, um, and you can still hear things from around you, which can be kind of nice.
0: Yeah. see, For me, if I have headphones, if I have over-the-ear headphones on, chances are I'm recording. Mm-hmm and open your headphones, give me too much ghosting. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And if you're in, I definitely, I do appreciate them when I am, for example, flying. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if you work in an office, you don't necessarily need your next door neighbor listening to Megadeth or you don't want to be listening to theirs. So, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, they're, they're really nice. Um, but everybody headphones, everyone's
0: got a preference. So I have to ask, do you listen to Megadeth?
1: I, I do not. No, uh, that's just my, that's my example of loud. I think, like in my head, my prototype for loudness is Megadeth.
0: I'll uh, send you some links.
1: Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure you not don't to know loudness. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh man, you you get some some just like roaring guitar over like seven hundred BPM drums and this like kick drum just brr. yeah that's loud and annoying to anyone around you.
1: I uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you'll be sitting on the bus and you'll hear that through somebody else's, like, in-the-ear earbuds and Mm -hmm. just looking over like, wow, did you ever have hearing?
0: (laughs) I would be that guy. I I would be the guy you'd be asking that about. Hey, I I won't
1: go into the whole hearing science thing, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, and the worse my hearing gets, the louder I play my music. I have noticed that, too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's obvious, but... Uh, did you ever see, and, and this is probably the 900th time I brought it up on this show, but it's all gone, Pete Tong?
1: Uh, no.
0: It's, uh, he's a DJ and he starts going deaf and he gets to a point where playing one more show is going to render him 100% deaf Huh. and he does it and he loses his hearing entirely. And uh, and he ultimately learns to DJ with a pair of flip flops attached to the speakers, <laughs> and feeling the beat through the floor, and then beat mix or beat matching using like uh, waveforms on screen. You you might enjoy the movie. Is all I'm saying. Oh, that's awesome. I think everyone would enjoy that movie. Oh yeah. I should make that a top pick if I haven't, but not this week. I'll bring it up again.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's really. That's something that always kind of drives me vaguely crazy. Um, and especially, okay, in the audiophile, you'll get the people who are really concerned about the high ends and they'll listen to these gigantic, I mean, their, their living room looks like a concert hall with, you know, the stack of speakers and they're listening in absurd volumes because they can't hear <laughs> anything anymore and they can't hear anything anymore and they're worried about the high end. You can't hear the high end. Uh, you've
0: well, You've killed your high end. I see. And that's like orchestra players, like people actually playing stringed instruments in orchestra often suffer from very high end hearing loss because of the harmonics and just the, the constant high end that they, they have surrounding at close proximity to their ears. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wonder like if you got your sound so realistic that it was like sitting in first chair position in the chamber orchestra, would it ultimately be damaging? Like, isn't there something to be said for the mix and the actual recording process?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, think about all of the movies. I mean, people. some of these people go into, like, the high-end home theater thing, and they want their living room to rock when they see an explosion in the movie. Like, no, I don't need that. (laughs) I like my ears. I mean, anything loud enough to approximate a gunshot in reality just hurt you. Well done. <laughs> um, well, and
0: there's a point where we really should be developing technology that it makes you actually feel like you got shot instead of just hearing a gunshot. <laughs> I think that would add a, a great dimension to cop thrillers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have to skip that one. I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to get shot anytime soon. Uh, yeah, Chicken. Well, I know. I know. But, you know, <laughs> what can I say?
0: that that and the other uh the the uh olfactory research that was being done where they were going to they're going to have movies that put out uh sprayed scent Ooh, okay during certain scenes to give you like the because well, olfactory is a yeah. very strong sense so you could really tailor someone's perception of a scene by using olfactory sense. but it seemed very ill conceived and i'm not the only like the the general consensus was we don't want to smell our movies
1: yeah i'm picturing the star wars trapped in the garbage compactor scene <laughs> and really i like that scene now let's let's leave it be
0: yeah yeah i Ooh. think i think the idea of movies has always been very audio and visual not always obviously not audio but since movies had audio i think those two play together very nicely without tying in any of the other senses?
1: I think, yeah, we're probably best staying with the two. Um, yeah. I, I, and people talk about the, the realism thing, even like, okay, I use two channels. I just have two speakers in my living room. Um, I'm not an 18-channel surround sound kind of person, and it's amazing. I think a lot of people go to Best Buy and buy an 18-channel system for $1,000 and get bad, 18 bad channels not realizing how much you, you can get a solid 80 or 90% of the surround experience with just the two channels, if it's done right and right. get two really good channels rather than 18 crappy ones.
0: Well, and ultimately it also comes down to the quality of the input. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have music and, and movies that are custom tailored to, you know, an 18 channel system. Yeah. You're not going to be making full use of those 18 that you have anyway.
1: The input thing hangs a lot of audio. Like, okay, I listen to Electronica mostly, and it drives me a little crazy when people talk about realism when they're listening to electronic music. <laughs> or people who buy Electronica on vinyl and are not planning to use it as DJs. <laughs> like, no, you're not preserving anything. It was digital to start with.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I can see the uh, the insanity there. A, a little bit, but there's... There's a lot of
1: insanity out there. The the super tweeter I love, where you've got the speaker that goes, a, you know, 20,000 to 50,000 hertz. That entire frequency range is inaudible to humans. Why are you paying $4,000 for these super tweeter speakers? Like your pet dolphin loves them. Like,
0: <laughs> But ah. I plan to evolve. <laughs> I plan to evolve to be able to appreciate this.
1: Oh, I wish I'd have had that line at the audiophile meetup. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll I'll stop the audio file discussion there and uh, and tell you about our second sponsor, which is shutterstock.com. Where you'll find over 28 million images, stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and 1 million video clips. Start your search at shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. Choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can do that, too. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new because they add 20,000 new images every day and 12,000 videos every week. It's more affordable than you think, too, with no extra charge for large files. Just download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high resolution images. If you need them, you can just take them. Easily curate and share pictures via light boxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own light box gallery as you search. You can also use their iPad app to do this. Then there's something called enhanced license access. If you like an image and you want to run it on print or swag for your trade shows, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips should you need any of those. And if you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions. They also have 24-hour support during the week. Sign up for a free browse account at Shutterstock.com, no credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code dansentme twelve thirteen. And get twenty-five percent off of any package you put together over at shutterstock.com. And that brings us to the top three. I need a sound effect for that. Boom, boom. Um let's see. I have I have three. So I, I'm I'm ready. I'm prepared for this. Are you prepared for this? I am prepared. All right. Why don't you hit me with your first top pick of the week?
1: Okay. Um my top pick of the week is mailmate. The the IO or I'm sorry, the OSX mail app. I know you mentioned it previously, but I have just fallen head over heels in love with this software.
0: Me too. I, it, me too.
1: It finally dislodged me. I've tried every mail app roughly ever, and it finally this one finally dislodged me from Mutt, which is where I had settled as the least worst mail app. But I like <laughs> this one. It's nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well you can you can customize it to a point where you can actually Use your mutt key bindings and, or your Gmail or Emacs, whatever you want to hook up to it.
1: Exactly, yes. And so I can make it again so that nobody knows how to use my mail client.
0: Which is, which is the ultimate goal, uh, Exactly,
1: right? yes. I want nobody to know how to use my computer.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure I achieved that goal a long time ago, system-wide. But, oh, yeah. um, but I've seen you uh, active on the uh, MailMate mailing list as well are you are you mostly asking questions or are you doing some uh, some development feature suggestions things like that
1: uh, some feature suggestions primarily in the keyboard domain i'm you know I'm about ninety percent of what I could do on the keyboard and mut for mailmate and uh so just trying to honestly I'm begging I don't have the capability to add any of these things in there, but just begging and saying you know oh yeah, I like that idea or Explaining, I'm a crypto nerd, so explaining to people what GPG is and how to use it, that kind of thing.
0: Someone someday is going to have to explain GPG to me. I, but not right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's one area I feel like I should have I should have picked up on way back in the Usenet days, and never never. uh, I guess never felt the need to.
1: It's like a nerdy merit badge. I think Um, nobody really uses it except apparently me, but it still makes
0: me feel good. You and I think Fletcher Penny. Okay, maybe, yeah. I think. I'm trying to remember. I know I get, occasionally I get the, the public signatures in emails, but uh
1: Yeah, one of my anyway. computer science friends uses it too, so it's like, okay, <laughs> our emails are safe.
0: Nice. And, and MailMate is friendly with that. Yeah. As well as Markdown. Mm-hmm. That I love. I can compose messages in MailMate and have them sent as HTML. It lacks smarty pants, though. And this is a topic of conversation on the list right now. But it doesn't turn my punctuation into proper punctuation automatically. Oh. Which is half of why I would write an email in Markdown to begin with, to make sure my three dots become ellipses and my apostrophes become curved in the right direction.
1: So, oh, wow. so you are that kind. Of, okay.
0: I, well, I, I like I like to be typographically correct without having to think about it. And yes, you can use smart replacement on a Mac, and you can use it in MailMate uh, to some uh, some very good ends. But I generally disable it system wide because ninety nine percent of what I do on my system is plain text and Markdown. Yeah. So that doesn't. It's not necessarily the ideal solution for me. So I am trying to talk. Uh, the developer into smarty pants, but it's still it's it's an ongoing discussion. Yeah. But yes, I I I too am, as I mentioned two weeks ago, and will say again, I love MailMate. And I, it's it solves so many problems for me.
1: And I love uh, I love that they've made the crowdfunding goal for the next version too. I mean, it's, yes,
0: that's encouraging. It's, isn't it's beautiful. It? Yeah. All right. Well, my first pick of the week is coffee-related. Actually, it's it's kind of the crux of my coffee setup, and I'm not—I forgot to check and see how many times I've talked about this before. But given my short memory, we're going to pretend I've never mentioned Tonks Coffee before, and and I'm going to tell you how much I love Tonks. It's uh, they they fresh roast their their coffee and ship it same day in airtight packages. So it's like getting really properly roasted coffee, fresh from the roaster. Um, and and I, I love it because, uh, no offense to any of the coffee houses in town, but nobody around here in little Winona, Minnesota, seems to know how to roast coffee correctly. And Tonks does. And Tonks, for an affordable subscription price, sends me my coffee every two weeks. Love it. You're a coffee guy uh, my, with your audiophilism?
1: <laughs> no, my entire city, though, appears to be part of the, the coffee cult. Um, there are more coffee roasters than I can count offhand. So I, I, I just I, that's not a culture I quite understand. I'm like a, a tea or apple cider kind of guy, I, or a Diet Mountain Dew guy if I need caffeine.
0: Which, well, you know, he's natural. a whole culture, too. yeah. Unless you're just like an Earl Grey guy. Are you just an Earl Grey guy? I, I'm more of a Celestial Seasonings guy. Just like, okay. Oh, did
1: you just say herbal tea? I, I did just say herbal tea. Like vanilla rooibos, you can, you can tear my red tea from my cold dead hands. Just saying.
0: All right. You can have that with your monster cables. and Oh, no, you did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For a long time, um, I used actual house wiring to connect my speaker to my amplifier. Like the Nomex you pull out of your wall.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
1: Or, anyways. Code hangers. Code hangers, exactly. All right, so what's your second pick? My second pick's got to be Pandoc. The uh, document translation, well, not really translation. That's a good way to characterize it.
0: It's a markup processor.
1: Ooh, that's, that's pretty, yes. That. I, it's what I'm actually using to write my dissertation. Um, I'm writing my whole dissertation in Markdown, using things like TextMate and Marked or Editorial on my iPad, and then I just throw it through Pandoc to turn all the Markdown into LaTeX, and then process the LaTeX, and I've got a pretty dissertation that didn't wasn't terrible to write. Um, and I use sure. it to make my web page and everything like that. So I, I just love Pandoc.
0: What's interesting to me about Pandoc versus other processors is that it does a certain amount of normalization of syntax. Mm -hmm. And so you can write, you have some options when it comes to how you want to format header IDs and things like that. Yeah. And it provides a lot of uh, like conversion options as well.
1: Yeah, you can take like a a file as your header and as your footer for it and, yeah, I've I've just loved it. I mean, everything I've set out to do using Pandoc, I've been able to do and it been able to do well. I, I I've just fallen in love. I would cry so hard if that disappeared tomorrow.
0: Well, and it's been suggested to me many times that I embed Pandoc with various projects including marked and Pandoc is huge. It's a it's a big yeah. download. Um, it's not something that I can easily embed and I'm not even, I've never even looked into the licensing issues, but, uh,
1: I think you need like a whole Haskell interpreter to use it and whatnot. Yeah.
0: But it is, it's very powerful and, and by default, it can convert all kinds of formats, not just Markdown to all kinds of formats.
1: And with a pretty good set of the tags too. And it doesn't, for instance, it doesn't puke if I've got a random, um, citation in my Markdown. Right. Etc. And I can drop entire like charts in LaTeX in the middle of Panda. Oh man.
0: Anyways. It's smart. Yeah, I'm I'm a fanboy. <laughs> it is smart. All right. So my number two is fix It. Anything from iFixit. These are the guys that do the teardowns that you see when new hardware comes out. And they provide a store full of Every kind of Torx and hex and screwdriver that you'll ever, ever need to take apart a Mac. Um, like for $65, you can get the ProTech Toolkit, which it's literally everything I can imagine you would need to to disassemble, it repair, and reassemble Macs, iPhones, uh, laptops, etc., and uh when I did my SSD and my mini this morning, I used the iFixit toolkit. Um, I don't remember which one I had. I think it was the SSD install toolkit or something like that. But uh but with that and with the detailed instructions that they provide for just about every model of Mac, it's not a, it's not terribly difficult to do your own teardown upgrade your hardware and reassemble things without coming out with too many extra screws. Depends on your skill level. Mine is not high these days with the, uh, the hardware, but, but I did a good job and my, my Mac mini is running wonderfully right now.
1: As a linguist, I mostly appreciate their popularizing the term spudger.
0: (laughs) I, I just, Where does that come from?
1: I have absolutely no idea, but I just love it, and I wish I could use use it more often. It's just in every one of their teardowns, they've got a trusty spudger involved, yeah, and, and
0: and I did. I found the spudger extremely useful today for pulling uh, hard drive harnesses off of logic boards, and oh yeah, prying things apart without scratching and breaking them.
1: Like I want to start using that term more. Like, would you hand me the really big spudger?
0: You mean the spatula? No. I mean, he, I, you could try it. Yeah. I mean, you could see how it goes over. I'm not sure what kind of luck you're going to have with that, but eh. I'm trying. To, I'm looking right now to see if you can actually just buy a spudger. <laughs> I don't think so. I think you have to get it as part of a kit. I could be wrong.
1: That's how they lure you in.
0: <laughs> uh, you start with the spudger. Yeah. Anyway, for anyone spudger. wondering. Anyone wondering, a spudger is like a hard plastic. It's got a pointy end and a flat end, and it's made for pushing, pulling, prying uh, wires and and fragile things.
1: And you've, you've seen these everywhere. It's just nobody quite knows what to call it, but spudger now.
0: I know. I, and I don't know if iFixit created that term. I mean, really? it might be a very technical term that I'm not familiar with, but... <laughs> It credit. doesn't sound technical, but I'm sure there are other correlating words that I would also find humorous. Yeah. Spudger. Okay, so yeah, I my, my pick is iFixit in general. These guys, if you have to take apart a part of Mac, this is where you're gonna go. So I'll just link iFixit as a whole. All right. So what's your third pick?
1: My third pick is going to be Slate, which is a, an open source window manager thing for OSX. Um, it's kind of like the XMonad tiling window manager thing, but it lets me, for instance, bind command right arrow to move this window to half of my screen, command left arrow to the left half, command up gives it the middle. And it's just, it's one of those things like I don't like using the mouse where I can avoid it. And this saves me so much time because I can just move things around and command option up gives me the right, the topmost half of the right side of my screen. And it, 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 it's like, it gives me a lot of the joy that like a tiling window manager an Xmonad or something like that gives me on Linux, but for the Mac and, it, and it's free and it's text file configured and everything.
0: It's nerdy. Yeah. I was looking at this one a while ago. It is, it is very nerdy. Um, I I feel obligated to ask you if you've tried Moom. I actually, yeah,
1: Moom was my gateway window manager for Mac. Um, Okay. I have tried Moom. I liked it a lot, but I just, Slate gave me more ability to do really weird things, like define mathematically the window position, like move it over by eight twelfths of the screen, to, nice. you know, and, you know, samoom so was really nice. And it's, if you don't want to be writing your own text file configuration,
0: <laughs> use Moom. which is most of the population. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, for those who really want, is it a P list format or is it just plain text? It's just a weird text file format. Um,
1: I don't even think it's a P list. Uh, it's no, just it its own like thing. It. It's a dot. It's a dot file to configure the thing. I mean, that's just how can, nerdy it is. Uh,
0: you can move, resize, push, nudge, throw, corner, shell, hide, show, toggle. Yeah, lots of options here. Yeah, you basically. That's only the first five out of 20.
1: Yeah, you run out of keyboard keys. Like, I wish somebody yeah. made like an extra row of F keys just to mess with things. Have you ever made a hyper key? Hyper key? Uh, oh, is this like control, option, shift, command?
0: Bound to your cap slot key?
1: How are you, how are you doing that on a Mac?
0: I use a combination of, uh, um, what's it called, mm, key remap for MacBook uh-huh. and k- PC keyboard hack. Okay. B- both from the same developer, but they let me remap. Basically, it remaps my caps lock key to an F16 key. And then I Ooh. I bind the F16 key to Command, Option, Control, Shift. Ooh. And then I can use my caps lock key as a whole new modifier because... Command option control shift is not something that most people bind hotkeys to to begin with. Agree. Like it's a very complex <laughs> yeah uh, chord to hit on your keyboard. So that leaves basically my whole keyboard open for new key bindings.
1: I've I've had mine is um, escape. My caps lock has been escape for many
0: years. Um, my well, and that's the beauty of my setup is if I tap my caps lock, it is escape, oh. which is great in Vim. But if I hold it, then it's the it's the more complex hotkey combo. Dude,
1: okay, I know what I'm doing this evening.
0: Yeah, and I, I'll link the the guy who originally talked about it, space space keyboard. I I'll I'll have to link it in the show notes because I didn't invent this by by any means. But uh, no, that's awesome, huh? Yeah, it's very 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 handy. You'll like it since you're out of keyboard shortcuts, just like I always am. Yeah, you'll appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right. I have to make a quick note because I'll forget to link that now. I always <laughs> say, yeah, I'll link that in the show notes and then... Okay, note made. My third pick, and this came up because we were talking keynote before the show, and I didn't have a third pick at the time, um, is reveal JS, And it is... It, it's... There there are plenty of HTML5 and HTML slide presentation uh setups. But Reveal.js is a really easy, really gorgeous way to make slide decks that you can navigate both horizontally and you can add up and down so you can like drill down into a topic and then flip over to the next slide from the bottom. Um and you can. It has plugins that you can view your overview. You can skip and jump. You can see your progress as you go through, as like a bar across the bottom of the screen. It even has a little node server that runs to the side, and you can, in a separate window, view show notes. Not show notes. Sorry. You can view slide notes, uh, presenter notes, as you go through the slideshow and the update as you switch slides. And uh, it is. It's spectacular. It's free. It's on GitHub. Uh, it's that uh, lab.hakeem.se but uh, but I'll link it. And anyone who's who who wants to make presentations easily, there's even a generator for these. If I can remember where it is, I'll put it in the show notes. But you can just type in your your text and headlines and HTML, and it will generate these slideshows for you. I also have a slide project that I actually. I can take a single markdown file and turn it into an entire reveal.js presentation, which I will share when it's fine-tuned. I'll put it out there publicly, but for now, it's it's an experiment.
1: As somebody who teaches and does, I use Keynote for all of my teaching. This is kind of really exciting to me because I, I fear formant rot. Uh, formant? Wow, sorry. A Formant is a thing in speech I've been writing about all morning. Uh, <laughs> format rot just terribly, and I see all of my Keynote files just... Slowly dying as they are proprietary, so I'm really excited about this.
0: Yeah, and I, I think for for people who who espouse the uh, the plain text mm-hmm. movement, having your slides, having your presentations in at least in HTML, if not all the way down to Markdown, that can be easily converted. Oh yeah. I mean, HTML is plain text. I have no problem with yeah. storing my, my data in HTML files. It's just XML. But
1: then you're writing but. HTML, which is just
0: kind of a pain. Yeah. It, well, it can't be, yeah. definitely. Um, down. Okay, so that's that's three and three, right? I believe so. We did it. Yay! That brings us to our final sponsor. So if you need to do anything with PDFs, you need PDF Pen. You can add a signature, make changes to text and images, correct a typo, typo, fill out forms, and that's only the beginning. If you have a scanned document, PDF Pen includes OCR, so you can convert that scan into text that can be searched, copied, and corrected. Want it to remove uh, sensitive in- info such as tax ID numbers from your PDF before sharing it? PDF Pen can perform redaction, removing all the stuff that you want to keep private. PDF Pen 6 is out now, and the new features make it more powerful and easier to use than ever. The interface and tools have been updated improved, and improved, and now you can export your PDFs to Microsoft Word format for sharing or editing. And big news, Smile has something new, it's PDF Pen Scan Plus. Uh, now you can have the power of your office right in your pocket. Uh, so you can scan contracts, invoices, or receipts as PDFs using your iPhone or your iPad. Uh, you can use the OCR then to make that scanned image into editable text. And you can get that right now for $4.99 in the app store. And if you go to smilesoftware.com slash five by five, you can watch an awesome video by my buddy, David Sparks about PDF pen scan plus. Uh, You can get PDF Pen for Mac for $60 in the Mac App Store or directly from Smile. Um, You can also buy PDF Pen Pro for $100 and get advanced features like form creation tools and document permission settings. You can find out more about all of this at smilesoftware.com slash 5x5. All right, and now the sign-off. Awesome. So, Will, you can be found on app.net as at vowels v-o-w-e-l-s yep. is that right this is true and you also have a website at save the vowels org yes i sure do no one ever it- forgets
1: my email address
0: <laughs> nice um is there anywhere else that you want people to be able to find you
1: um you can look at my language related bloggings at uh, notes from a linguistic mystic just google it and i talk all about random things going on in language and uh Aside from that, savethevowels.org will get you there.
0: Nice. All right. Whoa. And, well, and I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm at brettterpstra.com and tt-scoff everywhere. And I want to mention that I'm currently uh, running a casting call for Systematic. And I'm getting a ton of great submissions. And if you would like to be included in... Well, it's kind of an audition process. But uh, if you go to com slash audio drop you can put a, uh, a two to five minute audio file uh, just sit down record yourself tell me about yourself tell me about what you do why you think you'd be an interesting guest and just drop the audio file into the webpage there and I will get it as an email and uh, if uh, if it's exciting if it's intriguing I'd be more than happy to have new and interesting people on the show so don't hesitate to uh to check that out and let me know who you are and that brings us to the end thanks a ton for being here well yeah thanks for having me yeah that was a good time um i will see everybody in about 1 week thank you for listening